Show. Hi, this is Rachel. And this is Natalie. And we are the Insta Mamas. We are sisters with a podcast and we talk about everything from faith, healthy, clean living, adoption, foster care, motherhood, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. Hey, you guys. I'm so excited for today's episode because we are going to be, well, Natalie, myself, I got to interview an occupational therapist and it is occupational therapist appreciation month so thank you occupational therapist yes we so appreciate occupational therapists but rachel was unable to be there for the actual interview and rachel actually has a lot of really good insight about occupational therapy and we're gonna we talk about my daughter's experience with occupational therapy and she actually has two occupational therapists one is an aquatic therapist and one is just a normal occupational therapist Wow, I said occupational therapist a lot. I know, it's kind of a big word. So when we say occupational therapist, when we're talking to each other, we say OT. OT. And so there's different types of therapy. There's physical therapy, occupational therapy, there's speech therapy, and then you can even have feeding therapy, which a lot of times feeding therapy and speech therapy coincide. Yeah, and then there's lots of like sub-therapies, there's like music therapy, there's art therapy, there's talk therapy. There's equestrian therapy with horses, which is really cool. So we're focusing today on OT, occupational therapy, and um, the OT I interview, she goes into more what actually they do and what it is, but basically um, they work a lot with like fine motor skills and sometimes kids who have developmental delays or gaps in their development behavioral and self-regulation sometimes it's from trauma sometimes it's from like um like a physical trauma or a disease or illness they have so there's lots of things and and nicole is the name of the therapist she'll go into that more in the second part of this but i wanted to pick rachel's brain because she has a really good um a really not weird experience but very unique experience with with therapy in general and so um, because you have fostered how many kids? 26. 26 kids. And a lot of kids in foster care are in there because they have neglect or abuse. And that can be a trauma that causes them to need therapy. So can you just kind of tell us what your experience with therapy was and like what you learned about it and how it helped your kids? Yeah, and I think, well, I think any parent who's been a foster parent. I think they would have the same kind of experience and kind of know, oh, yeah, if you're going to take a child from foster care, there probably most likely will be some kind of therapy, whether that therapy is going to be months, years, and sometimes it's just a couple weeks just to get them to where they need. So my daughter herself, um, she, when she was born, she was born premature and she needed feeding therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, what else did she need? Physical therapy, and because she had a lot of physical things too. It's just, so whoa. and the physical things can cause like the emotional and fine motor stuff that require. And so a lot of times therapy. we didn't start occupational therapy until she was through with physical therapy because they wanted they felt that it was more important to get her physical stuff under control and then they would start working on the occupational stuff. And I didn't even know, I used to think like, well, occupational therapy is for kids who have developmental problems. But then with one of my first rounds of 
foster care, I had a little boy who was four and we were just at, and I'm so thankful for this doctor that in such a short visit, he could recognize things. So right off the bat, he noticed we were in the doctor's office and he was upset about the doctor's breath. He said, your breath is so strong. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't say that. Like the doctor noted that he noticed how strong the doctor's breath was. And it wasn't something that I noticed. So it's not like he went and had garlic for breakfast, you know. And then the kiddo mentioned how bright the lights were. And then he mentioned how he didn't like the way that the blinds were. Like the blinds were bothering him. The blinds in the doctor's office. And just things you don't really think about. And the doctor was able to say, hey, I really think they're, I'm going to recommend an occupational therapist for him. And I said, Because oh. he was having a lot of sensory stuff. Yeah, and I said, oh, he's extremely intelligent. Like, believe me, he's, like, reading. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. This isn't a developmental thing. This is a behavior. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Yeah, he said there's, there's sensory. He's having some breakdowns because there's too much sensory overload. And that's what happens to a lot of times. And I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist. This is just coming from my own experience. A lot of times kids who come from trauma, um, so in your brain, coming from like a scientific part of it, and I don't know if Nicole goes, I haven't listened to that interview yet, if she goes more into this. She does. You have your fight, flight, or freeze. And when you're completely always in that state, your brain has to develop differently. And so... And it's kind of always an overdrive because it's always afraid that it's going to be attacked because it's been Yeah, it's like having a car that's going 100 miles per hour. So it was kind of funny because then when we went to the OT for the first time and she did his evaluation, and that's just the first appointment where they do an eval. And (laughs) when I was coming out of the reception out to the reception she's like so do we need to set in another appointment and I'm carrying him surfboard style kicking and screaming out to the car and she's like I'm just gonna assume yes <laughs> that's the one thing at the OT office they're like used to kids that are having meltdowns yeah and I'm, I'm like this is my first experience with this and I'm so embarrassed and they're like oh no we see this every day and he only needed our we set specific goals and he actually only needed about four months of that OT before he was able to have tools to cope in the world. Because that's the thing is it's good to understand that these kids may have these sensory overloads. It's good to be sensitive, but it doesn't give them an excuse. They still have to live in the world. They still have to be able to cope in the world. So for one thing, I really liked when he was saying, the lunchroom is too loud. I won't be able to handle the lunchroom. And I said, well, I know some kids will wear headphones or something like that. And she's like, no. I, what I really appreciate about the occupational therapist, she's like, let's give him some tools to be in the lunchroom. And she said, because if we do the headphone thing, then we're going to always have to do that. And he's not going to be able to learn. Um, for example, with so the, not just giving him a crutch. Because, I mean, some kids actually... Some kids will actually need the headphones. They can't, fit, they can't learn to cope with it because of whatever, you know... Um, whatever their physical issues or yeah, mental issues are. Yeah, but she was in the point. Just like some, like you can't. But that's what the therapist does. They meet the kid, learn the kid. and Where say, they're at. I think this child can do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to push them. But then they also know when the kid is having a hard day and when they just need yeah. uh, well, extra loves or extra, you know. Yeah, because sometimes I'd be like, well, what's going on here? Sometimes he'd go and they'd just play cards. And then other times she'd really push him and... Um, 
Like, give them shorter transition times. Because not all the time in a school, a teacher's going to be able to say, okay, in this much time, we're going to transition. You know, she has 20 kids she's dealing with. And so our goal was to just be able to get him to be able to stay in kindergarten. And so she worked. It was amazing. I learned so much. And then you were able to take some of those strategies home and use them at home and with future kids and be able to help them self-regulate and several of our kids still would go to occupational therapy so I'm a strong believer in OT and my daughter went through that and she graduated it and her she has a lot of like emotional regulation strategies that she can use now. yeah she has she's a very emotional person I mean I'm a very emotional person so um, but yeah just very practical things to help and then also with her when she was doing PT I didn't think that she had any physical ailments and it's so funny as a parent how there's just some things that you don't know for example she was past the age of one and her head was still sitting on her shoulders I guess at that time your shoulders should be back and your neck should be elongated and so that's a big thing we worked with in physical therapy. And because her her body was doing that, she wasn't able then to move her arms and extend her hands like she did. So that one little physical ailment affected her entire body, even her ability to walk. So two weeks into PT, she was walking. It was amazing. And yes, we believe in the power of God. Mm -hmm. So we know, we pray over our daughter. We were told she'd have severe physical deficits, severe mental deficits, severe cognitive deficits. We were told all of these things. We were, when we were given the adoption paperwork, there was a huge list of things that they said that our daughter was going to deal with. And we just prayed over her. And we were like, nope, we're not going to speak that into her. But yeah, if she did deal with those, would we love her any less? No, we would just work on them. But yeah, she had to go through speech, physical therapy. She had to go through all the therapies pretty much. My husband had a good metaphor for it because he said, yes, you pray for your children all the time and you pray for healing Mm -hmm. because our daughter has a lot of physical and mental deficits because Mm -hmm. of having been adopted and living in an orphanage. And um, we, but he said, it's like the farmer who prays for rain and then they sow the seed and they, yeah. And the That's work a beautiful of, metaphor, isn't it? And it's so true for our kids yeah. because therapy is the healing work and it is work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's work for the parents, but it's work for them. And people don't realize, like, Rachel, you named what four or five therapies? Mm-hmm. That's every single week. Yeah. We, I mean, you were having five, four or five therapies a week, and then multiply that by how many foster kids you had. Mm-hmm. So at one point, here's what's crazy at one point, I had five kids. So out of those five kids, two of them had counseling appointments, three of them had physical therapy, two of them had occupational therapy, two of them had speech therapy, and I think that's about it. Did one have feeding therapy, the baby? Oh yeah, and feeding therapy, (laughs) yeah. Because sometimes babies are born with like tongue ties and things like that, and they have to learn. So I calculated out, I was doing 25 hours of therapy a week. Oh, and then our teenager still had outpatient treatment because she went to um, rehab. And so she had outpatient treatment for rehab four days a week. So you were just, you know, not so busy We had a lot of stuff going but on. But that's the thing. People ask me all the time. They're like, how do you do it with a special needs child? And I'm like, I have team. 
I have a team. How many mm -hmm. moms can say they have a team of people that are always thinking about their child? I mean, obviously they have other clients too, mm -hmm. but they're always thinking and they can see things and say, I noticed Serby's doing this. Can you try it at home this way and see how she feels? And today, just watching her in OT um, water therapy, I just got teary-eyed because I could see how much growth she's had in the last six months and just how she, she loves the water and she loves her OT. And, and I'm like, that is, I could not have done that by myself. Mm -hmm. And that's okay as a mom to say, I need help. Yeah. Well, too, and just like little things that they've taught me, um, well, I just real quick, one thing that I thought was so cool is when Ariana would walk on her tippy toes and the physical therapist would say, yeah, she's doing that because she needs, so my daughter, there's sensory avoiders and those are kids that there's too much sensory going on. The lights are too bright. The music is too loud. And then there's one who are sensory seekers. They want everything. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they hug you hard. They squeeze you hard. They love the sensory stuff. They love putting their hands in dirt. They're always seeking the sensory. And Ariana was that. And so she said she actually walked on her tiptoes because she liked the feeling of hitting the ground harder that you do on your tippy toes. But that messes up your hips and your bones, and so you don't want your kids doing that. So if that's something you notice your kid is walking around on their tiptoes all the time, please bring that up to their doctor because that is a sign of other things going on. And so just something so simple is she'd take her socks and shoes off, and then she'd put Ariana's feet on these different Philly carpets and just rub her feet on the carpet. Just make her feet flat and rub them on the carpet. And before we knew it, she was walking flat-footed. It was just crazy and mind-blowing. I'm like, that is so cool. Yeah. Because we didn't go to school for years to become a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. And so I'm thankful that there's these people that are... Specialists. Specialists and doing these things for our children. Because as parents, how would you know? And they're doing continuing education. And they also see a bunch of clients. So they might be working with another client and see some therapy working and they bring it into your child's therapy and say hey i noticed this type of therapy worked and and i appreciate my daughter's team they're always talking to each other and working things out mm -hmm. and trying to figure out the best thing so um yeah not doing it alone is the best way to do it so thank you for talking about it rachel and just if you had anything to say to moms that are like oh, i don't know my kid might need therapy, but I'm kind of afraid to get started. Like, what would you tell them? I would just say um, that with anything, we love our kids. If your kid needed glasses, you wouldn't hesitate for a second to go get them glasses. And I think there's just this stigma around therapy that's so crazy. Or if your kid was allergic to milk, you would take out all the dairy. And this is just one more thing. It's just one more. I kind of think about like you have your utility belt kind of like Batman and he has all these <laughs> cool little tools to help him in motherhood it's like we're always needing this utility belt and we have about a bunch of million things and so me I feel like it's just adding one more thing to your utility belt to equip you for the job you have set before you and God anointed you to be the mother of the children and so why wouldn't we try to do everything we can to help that child? And sometimes you go to an eval and they say, you know, I don't think your kid really needs this, but here's some things they can work with at home. But it does not hurt to at least go see. And as a mom, we kind of deep down kind of know like, hey, I think my kid might need a little bit of extra help. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you. And our next segment is going to be interviewing one of my daughter's OTs, who is her um, uh, aquatic therapy occupational therapist. Say that five times fast. So thank you, a Rachel. Beautiful young woman of God. Like, She's amazing. We're so blessed to have these people um, we know in our circle. Yes, and I'll, you'll hear her whole story and, and how we got connected with her. But anyways, Rachel, thank you for telling us your little bit. And thanks for listening. Hey, it's Natalie. Rachel was not able to be here today, but I'm so excited. I'm going to be interviewing a dear friend of mine. I've known her for gosh, over five years, we've served at church together. And recently God has worked it out for her to be my daughter's water or aquatic therapist, yes. and which is a form of occupational therapy. So we're gonna talk all about that today. And we're gonna talk about destigmatizing getting extra help or mm -hmm. occupational therapy, or maybe it's speech therapy or physical therapy, or maybe it's just holding them back in preschool one year, whatever that extra help your child may need, we want to destigmatize that and talk to mm -hmm. a real occupational therapist. So mm -hmm. I'm going to let Nicole introduce herself and we'll get into the interview. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Natalie. This is my first time ever being interviewed and it's so much fun. Um, I am currently a single young adult. I'm in my 30s and I have lived in Boise, Idaho here for about seven years. I've known Natalie. Actually, we've known each other six years oh, because gosh. I know because <laughs> we have been at the same church and serving and I became a therapist five and a half years ago and have been working at um, my current place of occupation, which is Lullaby Waters down in um, Boise. And so I am an occupational therapist. I love working in pediatrics and I'm so excited to talk about the things that Natalie wants to share and share just on, I think all the stigmas and things that you hear growing up as a Christian mm -hmm. are also very good to know when you actually are practicing oh, um, professional. You know, there's things that you can learn and grow up with, but then you wonder, do I want to carry this into um, my professional life? Or do you want to carry this into when you parent? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes what your parents teach you may not be what you want to do. And um, that's been an interesting journey for me, and I can't wait to hash it out later. <laughs> that's so, that is so exciting. Well, and um, my understanding of OT, uh, we'll, we'll shorten occupational therapy to OT, or this oh, podcast will be uh, two hours long. But um, was I've known about it, and my sister had a lot of foster kids, and a lot of them I noticed went into occupational therapy right. and when I was a teacher you know I'd see kids in occupational therapy but my um when my daughter needed it it was for more like fine motor mm -hmm. and emotional regulation yeah and so she has like a, a traditional occupational therapist who meets her like in an office and they sit in a little desk and they have a swing and she she'll do little like activities with her hands to help her find motor skills. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you see it in children that need developmental help. Right. But I mean, you you can need it after you've had like a surgery or a trauma. Absolutely. I mean, so um, what we're using occupational therapy for, and we're so, it's really cool. We live in a place that has aquatic therapy, first Seriously. of all, because not everyone has it. So we have regular OT, which is a lot of the fine motor, a lot of those kind of skills and you know listening taking turns playing games with other kids and and things like that but then aquatic therapy was so cool to me because i didn't know like anything about it i just knew it helped kids 
with emotional regulation and I'd heard you talk about your job yeah. Nicole you know over the years so can you give us a little bit more in depth maybe even a technical understanding of what occupational therapy is and how your brand of occupational therapy works maybe oh totally <laughs> funny enough in school we had two weeks dedicated to how we would define occupational therapy huh. because there are so many different ways to interpret it I'm going to give you a dictionary definition, which is boring, but it's fine. And then I'll give you the, in other words, like Mm -hmm. what mine is more specific to. So occupational therapy is a therapy for those who need help with physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual. It's Mm -hmm. not utilized very often, um, but that is an element to therapy as well. And those challenges that through meaningful activities, you can promote independence. So if I were to say that in other words, I would say, oh, helps people live their best life by doing things that are meaningful to them you're wanting to work yourself out of a job <laughs> like for Serbi um, with what I do in the water we use um, let's see or the water as a modality what that means is the environment is very specific to the type of therapy that we do because the water does promote regulation but within the water and with the temperature that it's at it's at 95 degrees <laughs> which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, it helps regulate your blood pressure. It helps regulate your respiration. There's a lot of people who have high tone, and so that's really beneficial as well. Um, what do for... you mean by high tone? Like So high tone is like people who are spastic. It means their muscles are contracting all the time, regardless if they want it to be contracted or uh, not. So like someone who has anxiety or maybe they have a physical... Mm-hmm. disability that causes that but yes the water helps relax that okay. yes and it helps with you being able to work out their muscles mm-hmm. and to avoid tearing their muscles or um, another word that we use in the therapy realm is contractions and so that is something that you may have heard with you know labor pains and such but mm-hmm. it also relates to your muscles in your body that if they shorten too much they can get stuck in a certain position mm-hmm. and so you want to make sure that you can work those um, muscles out but within my therapy and with Serbi, as mm-hmm. you can see Um, from our sessions as you brought her in we use it as a way for her to just she loves being in the water and so she's more (laughs) engaged she's more um, attentive to Mm -hmm. things that we do Um, with the structure that I have done in her sessions I found that it works really well to use the water as a reward yeah she loves that girl could live in the pool I swear seriously (laughs) I feel like I live in the pool (laughs) she'll just come and be there all day with you if you let her oh totally I have to wear like a face shield because all the splashing you know she's all like you know doing all the splashing like it's cute and adorable don't get me wrong but it's like oh my goodness yeah um so with occupational therapy you take whatever is meaningful to someone and that is what you use as a means to treat them That's how I would um, use it to simply say occupational therapy is a way that you specialize um, the medical model that you have been trained in to the child that you meet because nobody is made the same. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that even as Christians, we're, you know, we're all made in the image of God and we're all unique. I believe as a therapist that no one is the same, that there's no cookie cutter model. It's when I treat someone, I treat them as an individual holistically. I, I look at their family life. I look at their health needs. I look at their physical abilities, their cognitive, their emotional, and it all plays into how I treat them. That's amazing. And I've, I've seen, you know, how you work in the, in your, um, what you call it, practice or 
yeah. clinic kind of yeah clinic I think I use that word more but either one works but yeah it's just when you go in there it's really calming you mm-hmm. can just tell it's like quiet and the pools kind of make this like sound and it's steamy and warm and that helps my daughter so much just going into a place because she can be even that like out of control body and when I take her home she just like sits in the car seat like staring into space because she's like so <laughs> zen because she's been working yes. out all those you know extra so do you specifically I know there's occupational therapy for all ages but what what kind of groups do you work with mostly there's a lot of um, different diagnoses that I treat. So there are, obviously I can't do names because of HIPAA, mm-hmm. but like cerebral palsy is a common one where that's a movement disorder that originates from brain abnormalities. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I was talking about people who have high tone or that spasticity. It's their bodies are contracting in a way that they need to be loosened out. Mm-hmm. and loosened actually maybe that's not the right way to say it like more worked out yeah <laughs> loosened worked out and um like you know in a way that's they can relax enough to yes to do their muscle or work out their muscles because they're so so tight uh-huh mm-hmm. and from pain and from the, yes. the mental condition uh-huh. yes and then muscular dystrophy is a really common diagnosis that we also treat that's a degenerative disorder that um your muscles will slowly not work so when you're young, it doesn't really present itself, but around four to six, you start to see kids lose their endurance, they lose their muscle tone, their calves become really defined, and then eventually they're bound to a wheelchair. And you know, other things that we treat are autism, and um, other things that we have are um, like Rett syndrome and Angelman syndrome, and a lot of things that. I've even treated a couple of people who've come in for anxiety. Hmm. So kind of the water helps with a lot of conditions where the body and mind feels out of control. Yes. And the water pulls you back in. One I can say because I'm her mom. But yeah, Serby, we use occupational therapy because she has some definite deficits from having lived in an orphanage. She she didn't learn the like grasping and the like little you know things you learn in your early baby years so hers is like a developmental aim we're using occupational therapy to catch up but specifically water therapy to help with like emotional outbursts and yelling and yes it's one thing is the pools make it really echoey so when she's noisy (laughs) you can hear i like hear it from the cars when i'm coming in i'm like oh my god that's my kid Uh, but she absolutely when we pull into the parking lot she loves Loves, loves water therapy. So maybe that kind of leads. So you guys, do you, at your uh, clinic, do you mostly work with children then? Yes. But there are with... adults that... Sorry, I didn't mean to hurt. Oh, you're... No worries. <laughs> um, we can treat people up until 18. Okay, at your clinic. Because at our clinic. Um, I know that some exceptions have been made, but we do it up until that point um, just because they become an adult after that. Mm-hmm. And the game kind of changes after that. Okay. Well, so that kind of leads me into my next question. What kinds of children need OT? We kind of talked about, actually I should lead to the next question because you've kind of answered that already really succinctly, but kind of maybe what are some misconceptions? Mm -hmm. Because obviously there's like, you know, cerebral palsy is like very serious conditions. But like even when you said treating for anxiety, that kind of surprised me. So maybe what are some um, misconceptions about who needs therapy Mm, I had so many misconceptions 
going into school, even being in the pediatric realm, I thought, oh, you have to have like this really bad diagnosis, not bad in the sense of bad, but like something that was very um, traumatic and severe and very apparent and very obvious. And what I've found is that if you can't live in a way that you can be independent, you need OT. Hmm. And so when you're a child, your biggest things that you're trying to work on are how do you live with your family? How do you do your schoolwork? How do you just do life? And how do you dress yourself and be independent? And if you can't do that, whatever that reason is that causes you to not be able to be independent is why you need OT. And so I've had some kids who've come in, if they have anxiety and they have, let's say, autism and anxiety, then for me, I would work on how do we increase their perceptual awareness to know what are your triggers for that cause you to be anxious? Mm-hmm. What are the ways that you can self-soothe or regulate yourself so that when you're feeling anxious, you don't start injuring yourself or others or Um, having outbursts and yelling you know how do you control yourself those are things that we have to teach and for other diagnoses we can help people who are um, physically have things that are not right but mentally they're totally fine Mm -hmm. or emotionally they're totally fine I see this little boy he is so adorable he's as sharp as a tack I mean he just is really quick he's really witty it's just his body is breaking down for you know his own reasons and so some of the um, stigmas that I would love to share as a practitioner is that there's no shame in sending your kid to therapy Mm -hmm. even if you think it's a small thing it also doesn't have to be long term I've treated kids where they only needed three sessions and and they were done and that was the she was a um, 16 year old girl she just was anxious. She couldn't do her homework. She couldn't go on public. She couldn't get her first job. Like she just, this was her thing that was really hard for her. And within three or four sessions, she was fine. She figured out how to regulate herself and the things that were meaningful to her. And we um, discharged her, you know, but for other people, um, if they are not able to do things that are meaningful to them, then it's okay to ask for help because mm-hmm. it takes a village to raise a child like i may i might be single but i can clearly see how parents just need a lot of help and i yeah. anticipate on needing help someday you know <laughs> yeah. um and i think that there's this shame somehow associated with um children with disabilities mm-hmm. um there's a terminology that i learned in school that i thought was really helpful um we don't ref- at least at my clinic and from what I've been taught is you don't say that your child is disabled. You say you have a child with disabilities because mm-hmm. you don't want their identity to be that they're disabled. Mm-hmm. You, you want them to be identified as a person. Like we believe as Christians, they are made in the image of God. Yeah. Just because you are a child with disabilities does not mean you're any less of a person than mm-hmm. anyone else. It doesn't mean there's, you know, quote unquote, anything wrong with you it means that you might need a little bit more help. But that's where the conversation ends. Yeah. Well, and I think that's like the, the goodness of God and how he He can bring parents. And I think we're not supposed to do it alone because it was really hard for me. I started to notice how my daughter was different than other kids her age. Right. And obviously we knew, we knew going into it that she would need a lot of extra help. And um, she's in lots of therapies. But when I was looking into to aquatic therapy I just knew it would be like the last little 
thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but it was hard for me even to get a diagnosis and to get, and even that diagnosis that we have, we have a piece of paper and it says it, but that's not the identity we put on our daughter. Right. We first say she's this like beautiful person who's energetic and hilarious and sweet. She is and, funny. and she is just like a miracle that she's our daughter, you know, but then, but then I have to also come to the other side and say, well, I can't put my head in the sand mm. and say, oh, my, oh, she'll just get better or she'll just be like all the other kids if I just, you know, wait and for that to happen. Mm. And so I think, it, I think uh, it's this like coming together of like, okay, really trusting God that he has a future for my daughter, but then also like doing the work and mm-hmm. getting the help. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, before I found all the therapies, I felt overwhelmed and I felt like, I was holding too much on me, like if yeah. that of my child success, being successful. And now I like love therapy because I go and they like give me so much help and input and say, hey, well, how's this going at home? You know, it's, it's, I think you were telling me the other day, it's as much about educating the parents as it is about working oh, with the kids. For sure. <laughs> it's like, so uh, I don't know. I, I do feel like people are afraid to get a label. And, um, you don't need a label on your child to give them extra help. You don't have to say, Oh, my kid has, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. And so I need to get them aquatic therapy. It's like, well, maybe, maybe Johnny is just a little bit, just needs a little bit of help to help him get ready for first grade or, you know, um, and with my daughter, she's probably going to be an OT at least for a couple years. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. Cause that's what she needs. Um, we're hoping to graduate physical therapy this year but we'll see you know and every year we get reevaluated but getting over that I'm lucky to have a sister who had been through it so many times with her foster kids and a lot of the reason the foster kids they suggest them doing OT is learning like those basic life skills that if they Mm -hmm. were neglected or abused their parents weren't teaching them though so that's kind of a little bit different reason and then some of those kids do have autism or you know official diagnosis but a lot of them do therapy for years and they don't have like an official, you know, diagnosis. They just get re-evaled. So totally. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the next question. We kind of talked about parents being afraid and I do love your, your just don't be afraid even just to get an evaluation and maybe, yeah. maybe the, they don't need it. So right. when we'll talk about evaluations, cause I do want to by the end of this, talk about kind of the whole process because that's the other thing. Getting started is was intimidating for me. I will, mm-hmm. I will tell you that, and that's what I love about Lullaby Waters is they've been, they call and they like explained everything, and I, they've been so wonderful. But um, can you explain some of the testing and process that goes into therapy? Like, I don't know anything about it. I'm just on the very first step. What do I need to know? Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, first you need to establish that you need help. (laughs) In your mind? In your mind and and in your heart. Because the journey is going to be very, um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's very humbling. I've heard from many parents. It takes courage to take your child to the doctor and to hear what they have to say. You know, so not to be discouraged is oddly enough my first piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Um, Establish a primary doctor because... For our clinic, and I know for every other pediatric clinic in town that I've ever been associated with, you need a doctor's referral for OT. 
Mm-hmm. We always are in collaboration with the doctors. We never do anything outside of what they have um, prescribed and with their referral. We um, believe in interdisciplinary health. We care about these kids holistically and legally that is how um, it has to go. So, so interdisciplinary health is like working together yes. with different health professionals yes. to make a plan for that child's care, right? Yes. Sorry, yeah. when you're a therapist, it's so hard to like know what you should define or not. No, you're, that's why I'm like, because I kind of know a lot of these terms because I'm on the other side of it, the mom who's like wide-eyed and doesn't know anything. And now I know more than I thought I would ever know, but... You know so much. You're a very with it mom. It's, it's wonderful. Thank you. But every physical therapist, occupational therapist, and every speech therapist, nutritionist, everyone goes through a doctor's referral. So that's a standard practice, regardless of what you need, you need a doctor's referral. Um, after that point, you would call the clinic, and to be honest, we have a six-month waiting list. So getting mm. your name in quickly is very helpful, especially in the Treasure Valley where we're at. And once you, um, let's say you get past the waiting list, and they give you the call, and they say, yay, we're ready to give you an evaluation. When can you come in? What you should expect, at least within our environment, is that your child does not go into the pool the first time that you come in for an evaluation. You come in for a land session, meaning you do the session. I love that they call it a land session. I know. Because it's it's not like you go to sea after that. I love it. It's like the land before the sea. I don't know. (laughs) It's like with the days of creation, we got to start with land and then I'm just kidding. Um, No, but you come in and you're not in the pool because we have to do our standard evaluations according to what they call the bot or the Peabody. These are standardized tests that have been developed um over time and it's what every practitioner uses to establish your baseline not yours but your child's obviously Mm -hmm. and so as you are talking with the therapist your child is playing and interacting with different toys and the therapist is not only talking to the parent but they're also watching the child and documenting at the same time what the child is doing and then what the parent is saying yeah. So the evaluation process is very necessary to be able to establish why is your child here? Why do they need services? What goals are we supposed to work on? What allergies do they have? What concerns do they have? What things should we as practitioners be aware of? One odd thing with my job is I have to ask them, can they hold their breath? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, can they go underwater? Do they have um, ear, chronic ear infections? If also they do... Like safety things. Safety yeah. things, like water safety. And that's another thing that I do all the time with um, being an aquatic therapist is I also implement water safety and um, pre-swimming techniques. Mm-hmm. I've actually taught a couple of kids how to swim. It's kind of cool. Um, so... <laughs> You know, those are added perks to my job that you wouldn't hear from a lot of other people. But um, so if I had to simply walk through, let's say the first visit that you would come to Lullaby Waters, it'd be you'd come in and you'd have your proof of insurance. So whether you have a primary insurance and then a secondary with Medicaid is what most people do. Um, You'd have your ID, so your driver's license, passport, whatever you have. And you would come in, they'd have the standard evaluation, and then we'd get the next appointment set up for when your child would come on a weekly basis to therapy. And I'll tell you, my evaluation, I think I always like try to like show the best of my kid. And like, she was like running away and trying to open the door and like (laughs) run into the parking lot and like every, and I'm trying to fill out these like papers. They ask you like a hundred questions and the therapist was really good at working with her and like bringing her back. But I was like, 
It's like, well, at least you're saying what our needs are. So <laughs> I, my version of, of evaluation was not very smooth. So I appreciate. And then they got to see where she was and what she needed. But so, yeah, it's don't go into it, at least from my personal experience. Like, this is my, you know, because moms, we want to do that. We totally. Show, like put our best face forward. But Honestly, if a, if the eval doesn't go very good, that's probably better because it is. Then you can actually see what the child needs. You know, it's like when yes. you take them to the doctor and they've been like whining all day, and then you get to the doctor and they like clam up, and you're like, they're actually sick. I promise. <laughs> you know, so totally. That was our experience. They had really uh, cool toys, and <laughs> and Sergey was really like overstimulated and excited. She oh. wanted to get in the pool the first day. Oh yeah, I think she like heard the water. She could sense. You walk in, you can tell there's pools in the building, but she well, was you so, can smell it too. Yeah, she she was ready. So, so you've done your eval, and yeah. the therapist has come up with some really cool goals for you. Yeah. And then, what's the next step? The next step is coming in for your actual session. So your child will come in a swimsuit, and sometimes I work on dressing with kids, and so um, I don't do that with Serby, but there's other kids that I do, and. We have them rinse off and then we have them go into the pool and what to expect with a general session is most sessions are 60 minutes long some people do them shorter but i found that most are about an hour and the reason we do an hour is because of that very reason like kids respond differently depending on who they're around and what environment they're in sometimes it's taken me 10 minutes just to help a kid transition in Oh, to the pool, yeah. Into the pool. Or it might take a long time to transition them out. Or when it comes to activities, they might be interested for like 30 minutes on something. And, you know, when you have these goals in your head as a therapist, it's nice to have an hour because you have enough time to (laughs) try everything that you want Mm. to. And as a therapist, there's this tension between, okay, I want them to have fun and I want them to know they're loved and I want them to feel safe. But I also want them to do all these things that are really, really hard. (laughs) So how do I like do the pendulum swing of they're having fun. They hate me. They're having fun. (laughs) They're crying. Okay, now we have to regulate them. Okay, now we have to, okay, you know, bring them back to focus. And so um, it's kind of fun as from a practitioner's perspective. If you ever watch an aquatic OT, it's quite the experience. It's it's like a show. It feels a little chaotic, but it's controlled chaos it's controlled chaos especially with serbia if you were to watch i remember the first few sessions um i didn't know how she would respond to me because she's seen me in two different environments she's seen me at church and then as her therapist i think she wondered wait so who are you 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 know tell her eyes were like squinting like how do i know you like (laughs) what are you doing not at church because she's very much like that she like wants things to be the way they are. Yes. So it did take her a little bit to warm up to you in the pool, but totally, she figured it out. But And some people like firm boundaries. Mm-hmm. Serby loves firm boundaries. But <laughs> I have some kids that I have to like trick them into <laughs> doing work because they will push against every boundary known to man. <laughs> and so depending on who your child is, and if you're a mom listening and you're just like, well, my kid just has so many issues. No, every child. I have so many issues. Are you kidding me? Like I'm the therapist. Like every child has things that they need to work on. There's no, you know, shame with where they're at. That's the biggest thing I've noticed as being a therapist is you meet the child where they're at for Mm -hmm. that specific day, for that specific time. And you just work with them. 
I think that's the mark of a good therapist is someone who can learn to flow with the child. You push them just enough that they learn and they grow, but you don't push them too far that they hate it or that they feel unsafe or uncomfortable and they distrust you. Mm-hmm. It's a very fine, um, fine line. So that's what you would expect from a, the sessions from week to week. As Natalie brings her, you know, you get into a rhythm and you go into a changing room and you get them all ready for the pool and you go in and you have your session. And then a lot of the patient um, education that I give to the parents is at the end because mm-hmm. it makes the most sense. And you follow week to week. Oh, this thing worked. This thing did not. And I would advise this. And so it's a nice back and forth relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to know as a mom that it is okay to ask your therapist a lot of questions. I know not every therapist welcomes that, but I do because I know parents have questions. And I remember I had a parent who they came and they just dropped their kid off. They never told me like any updates from week to week. And I was so frustrated. Don't worry, Natalie's not like that. But I'm I just- I talk too much. No, she talks and she tells me all the things and I love it. But this parent would give me nothing. And I was like, where, where are you at? Where, are we okay? You know, you kind of just wonder because therapists are humans too. Um, and I would just find, oh, later I found that they loved the therapy. They were implementing everything that I said. And that is, you know, just, know that you can ask questions you know you can advocate for your child we are there for your child as therapists and there's no stupid question there's no wrong question you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. and so which just, i didn't know anything before <laughs> before yeah. i became a mom I'm like oh wow now it makes sense and that's where i think with the stig like the whole stereotype or like stigmas with being a parent of a child with disabilities is you're not expected to know everything and it's okay to ask Um, for help I think that's going to be like the main thing that I say because it empowers you as a parent to be able to ask things specific to your child and it also is a wonderful way for the therapist to be able to really help you and meet you where you're at and where your child is at what I know me personally like learning to be an advocate and learning that like no two kids are the same and no two therapy sessions are the same Mm -hmm. and just getting past my own prejudices in my mind and my own you know what I wanted and needed for my child and giving that to God and then also um, it was really humbling for me because I had to like look at myself in the mirror and say you are a human being who is not going to be able to meet every need of your child. Mm-hmm. What do you need to do to meet the needs? You know, like what, obviously part of that is being a part of a community and a church. But for me, uh, therapy has been, I went with a notebook to my first like three months of, of regular OT and just wrote everything down and just, and then, you know, on my way back from aquatic therapy, I'm thinking through, and I always ask, and we were talking about this yesterday, I'm like, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Totally. Because uh, I want to know if what she did well, and then I also want to know, you know, what did she not listen? Because we work a lot on, like, asking her to do something, and then she does it, and taking mm-hmm. turns. And so I, I always want you to tell me if she's not listening. or, And my husband, he's very interested in, in how the therapy sessions go, too, so I always... Um, love to have that really good feedback you give at the end and yeah it's just been it's been such a so helpful to us it's hard because I can't really say oh it's fixed x y and z 
Right. Because occupational therapy, even though they do have really specific goals, like the child will be able to grasp an object without being told. You know, they're very specific goals. You sound like an OT. (laughs) I've read a lot of OT evaluations, I'll tell you that. But maybe that'll be my next job. I don't know. But but it's also just an overall, I feel like if you looked at Serbia a year ago and you look at her now, you're just like, oh, she's just so much more happier. She's so much more in control. She's less out of control of her body and and a lot of that is obviously like praying over her and mm-hmm. and uh, putting her in situations where she can grow but so much of that is therapy awesome and it was it is scary to like get the first because i had to ask my pediatrician for um they they i think they're afraid to offend parents now probably and so your o- your sorry not OT your pediatrician might not ask you or, or might not say oh your child might need OT I had to kind of tell her like oh we're gonna do OT mm-hmm. and she's like do you know what it is and I only knew about it because of my sister so I was very blessed but hopefully you're learning about it here on this podcast and you're like um yeah my kid it does have emotional regulation problems like they get really upset for yeah. silly reasons and and a lot of stuff I'm doing is not working or maybe my kid has really nervous habits and clicks their fingers or you know bites their nails and maybe this could help them and um, be the advocate but you do have to kind of I'm not afraid to do it because I'm kind of a, one of those moms <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah so I think we, we talked about the misconceptions a lot so kind of moving on um, what advice do you feel would you give to moms that feel their child may need some extra help or therapy or not just extra help a lot of help and because i'll tell you a sad story from when i was teaching um because i taught high school and i had students that would get to high school and could not read and you and i i'm not a diagnostician i'm not the like person who tests kids but when you're around students a lot you kind of can pick up and like oh this kid probably has some kind of learning disability and instead of so I you know had the hard conversation with their parents that he's 14 he can't write a paragraph like he needs help he needs to be in special ed and she refused and I was very gracious about I didn't say your kid's special ed or whatever I you know I did all the things you know and I talked about because he was a great great kid I such a happy kid but he just needed extra help and it made me really sad because and then I you know I had the parent-teacher conference and the mom wouldn't hear it she got really Mm -hmm. mad at me and really defensive and kind of shut the conversation down and it's really sad because I don't think that kid was able to finish high school and um and it's really because it he could have been successful with not even a ton of help he would have been one of those kids you wouldn't have even known he was in a special ed class, but just an hour a day in a special ed class and go to all his regular classes, it would have been the difference. But his mom refused to get him tested. And that, like, broke my heart. And you'd be surprised how much you see that. And I know there is, like, a fear that if there's a label on your child, it will follow them the rest of their lives. Right. But so what would you say to a mom who's kind of on that precipice, like, oh, I'm there, but I'm not there. I don't know. It's, It's hard. Oh, man, my heart just breaks thinking about that story. But it's more common than we would both care to admit. Um, For that specific scenario, the deterrent was the term special ed room, I think. Mm -hmm. Parents don't want to know that there's this whole, you say the word special and it's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't have the same meaning maybe that it did 
um, where it's original dictionary use, you know, it kind of denotes that there's something wrong. Yeah. And so they use the term um, special. What I would say for the situation with that boy and just needing, a, or for anyone who just needs a little bit of help, try first tutoring. Hmm. Try first, um, maybe not having the label of a special education or anything like that. If the parent is, you know, kind of sensitive to that, it's understandable. There's, there can be a lot of shame with um, with all of those like different labels and such. And if you find that you're a mom and you just say, look, I am not labeling my child. I know that something's up, but I just, I can't submit myself to going to a doctor. I just don't want to do that. That's totally fine. But look into tutoring. Look into how look into like your pediatrician and asking are there some dietary concerns that need to be addressed mm. i can't tell you how many kids and parents that i have talked to that especially with autism especially if you're a very high functioning autistic kid your behavior and your ability to cognitively grasp concepts in junior high and high school is related to what you eat huh. it's related to that. your diet and your sensitivities to like milk or grains and there's this gut emotion connection that many people have totally made correlations to, doctors who are brilliant. So I would say for higher functioning kids um, and parents who maybe don't want to um, go the, the typical route, a very easy way um, to still get your child help is through tutoring and through diet. Just mm. consider those two routes. Now let's say you're like, well, I wish my kid only had like a tiny little issue, but like <laughs> he has this diagnosis and I know he does. And I've already been to the pediatrician. Like, what would you advise for me? Like I'm drowning here. Yeah. <laughs> my kid needs a lot of help. Um, I would say to you, like what Natalie was saying earlier, don't feel like you have to be that superwoman mom because you already are in your own right. Oh gonna cry <laughs> no but i want to say that to every mom because i have these moms who run themselves into the ground and it makes me want to cry because of instagram comparison or them feeling like oh i'm not doing as much as this mom or i'm not doing as much as this and i don't know as much it's like no 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. just stop you are doing you are the perfect parent for your child you have everything that they need and I believe that God has you there for them for a reason. And so I would first say take courage and please accept the help that's available to you. And second of all, um, I would actually extend it to the um, diet as well, especially for kids with autism and with um, muscular dystrophy and certain other things. Diet really does affect a lot of kids' mm -hmm. uh, mental and emotional stability. It's shocking how much there's a correlation um and then i would say set up your home to be an environment that is calming if you find that your child is very hyperactive or if you find that they're very challenging some of the things that i've told natalie is simplify the toys mm -hmm. like rotate them through only give her a few so that even if she does make a mess there's only a couple you know <laughs> or like for other people um i have told them Give your child a space where they can go and regulate themselves. So like asking your OT to get you a home swing so that they can go and swing and not damage their bodies, but regulate themselves. There's no shame in asking for that. Mm -hmm. Or little trampolines are great for that too. Little trampolines. And things, it's like the, for yes. my kid at least, the repeated motion helps 
bring her back. Yes. And I'll say that with the sensory diet or like, you know, taking things out of your, all the clutter, it's helped. We, mm-hmm. we did, did away with like two thirds of her toys. And instead mm-hmm. of just throwing toys out all the time, it just yep. like, oh, it, 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 it helps has helped so much. And it's just, I feel more calm too, because I'm not like tripping over toys all day. Long. Oh, totally. Stepping on a Lego, man, that oh, hurts. It does. Um, but um, I would also say simplify um, your routines. Your child does not need you to have like every moment of their life mapped out, but having a simple bedtime routine, a simple waking up and getting ready for the day routine, a sim- even simple meals, like it's okay to make things really basic because a lot of kids who have disabilities love routine. Mm-hmm. And so the things that you can follow through on are the things that you're going to see a lot of success in with your child. They like things to be predictable because most kids with disabilities, they can't predict how they're going to feel. They can't predict what their body's going to do. They're constantly um, in out, a, of control. out of control and in yeah. a place of chaos. And so you as a parent, a way that you can help them is honestly by bringing the order that they can't bring to themselves. That's a really good way of thinking about it. And as adults we have hard times regulating our emotions Mm -hmm. or we feel out of control of ourselves sometimes. And I think about my four-year-old and how little she is and how scary it must feel to be out of control. Because as adults, we've been out of control and we've had road rage and we're like, wow, I didn't know I could go there mentally and I just did. So I can't imagine being a child Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out all those things by themselves. And so that's why... Mm -hmm. And then even a parent who doesn't know or they they had a perfectly totally different childhood mm-hmm. and so they don't know what their child needs or how to help them and totally I know it's oh, I might get emotional talking about this but I know there's been times where I felt that like uh, like oh I'm not doing right by my child and mm-hmm. and just having mm-hmm. that encouragement but yeah so encourage people that if they think their child needs help to not be afraid correct i do have though uh, an opposite side to that coin okay (laughs) it may seem a little untraditional because Mm -hmm. i'm the therapist who's obviously advocating for yes (laughs) um and saying how wonderful therapy is and it totally is but i know of a friend who has a child who does have a disability and she will not label that child she will not bring it up I do think that there are some children that you should not Mm -hmm. officially diagnose. I do believe that. And there's not very many practitioners who believe that way. Um, But for me personally, growing up, I did things that I now can diagnose as a (laughs) practitioner. And I was a very sensitive, very... um, Like there were things that people said over me and I remembered it for decades later. Mm -hmm. And so for some children, I think you should be very prayerful as a parent to know who your child is because some children might be marked for life by a label that they should have never known. That's true. Just on the opposite side. Now with Serby, I'm sorry, but like Mm -hmm. (laughs) she just, she needs help and she's not going to, you know, she'll just think, okay, I just needed help. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But for other children, I think that, you can just let it be and help them through what they need to help them through and encourage them more and that's what they need or get them help but not necessarily in the stereo um, typical way of of therapies or maybe if you get a diagnosis don't tell them 
just say, hey, this is an added thing that we would like for you to do to help you be successful. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. Yeah, and it's not like you're ashamed of the diagnosis and you're hiding it. It's more like you don't want that label to be on your kid forever. And I think, actually I was just listening to a podcast about anxiety, anxiety today and how to get counseling, you almost have to be diagnosed with something to get counseling paid for by your insurance. And so they're just over-diagnosing everyone. And so these young kids are like, and they kind of use it as an excuse and also like a badge of honor, but also like an identity. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I have anxiety, so I can't work on my homework. Or I have anxiety. And so, and anxiety is this real thing that every human being experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I want to teach my daughter to be resilient. And she has overcome so much in the last year. Yes. And I'm so proud of her. And I'm not ashamed to say that she needs extra help. And I like that we said special needs and we say special needs. We're not like the terminology and, you know, technically she's a child with disabilities, but she, we just say she has extra needs and she is special and she's wonderful. Yeah, she is wonderful. And she's just her, you know, I, I want her identity to be in Christ and, you know, every day I pray for different parts of her body and lay hands on that part of the body. Okay. And But I always put my hand on her heart first, and I say, I want you to love and know Jesus. If my child, like... So sweet. Never meets roticals, I'm okay if she loves and knows Jesus. So, But I do want her to live a happy and as normal life as you can, and what is normal anyways. But, you know, I want yeah. her to be able, like you said, to do the things that um, she wants to do to give her a... Go full in a, a gratifying life and be independent someday. I, totally. I'm i not the mom who wants their kid to live in their basement their whole life. I do want them <laughs> to move out eventually. So. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been so good talking to you. And I we kind of, when we have an, um, an interview, we kind of ask them, like, if if you had a mom sitting across the table from you and, and who's struggling or who, you know, things are going well even, like, What's your encouragement as an occupational therapist to that mom? Mm. You're doing a good job. Like, that's what I tell so many parents on a weekly basis. Like, you, at least as the therapist, I see effort from every parent I've ever interacted with. Really? Yes. And I think that I would just encourage them honestly. I would probably give them a hug because I'm that way. (laughs) I'd ask permission first, obviously, but um, I would just encourage them. Just say, like, you're doing a better job than you think. And you really do have what's best, have in mind what's best for your child. And, like, I see that. And you should truly just keep going. Like, continue going on. And it wouldn't be anything corrective if I actually had a parent across from me. Like, even looking at you as being a parent of Serbi, like, yeah, are there things that could be worked on? Sure. But that's not what I would say to a parent who is, like, sitting across and just wanting to, like, you know, needing some encouragement. Like, that truly is what a parent needs. You know, every single day they see things that need to be done and things that need to be fixed and things that, you know, there's so many pulls to a mom. Mm -hmm. So many, there's so much demanded of a mom. And I would just want to hold that space for that mama and just say, you don't have to do anything in this moment, but just be appreciated for who you are. Mm. That's so wonderful and encourages me. So (laughs) I hope to take that encouragement, but I love it. I love 
just so many things you talked about. You don't have to have a diagnosis or mm-hmm. a label to need a little bit of extra help. OT can be for all kinds of kids, and you'd be surprised mm-hmm. the different kids you see. And uh, just it can be beneficial. And uh, if you guys have any more questions about occupational therapy or any other therapies, I am not a professional. That's why I'm talking to one today. Um, but just my personal experience, you can definitely email the Instamamas at Instamamas. 19 at gmail.com I almost forgot even though I do our email every week I always forget it and then we're also on Instagram and Facebook Instamamas Nat and Rach so feel free to reach out and uh, thank you so much Nicole this has been this has been just so awesome and um, yeah oh I loved it thank you so much for having me and um, if a mama ever emails you a question and you're not sure how to answer, please forward it to me and I would love to answer anything. Oh, yeah, you're awesome that way. And I guess, well, I'll probably see you at church, but then I'll, I'll see you at aquatic therapy too. So, totally. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for listening.